Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Howdy there. Welcome into the Bird Gang Bliss Part 2. Let's get our host on the show. Hello. Howdy there. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz. This is Blake Murphy here. We're coming on back for part two this week. I'm joined as well as usual by my co-host, Johnny. Uh, hi there, Johnny. How are you doing? Good, Blake. How are you, sir? Doing quite well. So I know we left off, at least we said we were going to talk just a little bit about previewing the Niners game coming up. wonder if you could at least touch on a little bit of that before we get into some draft talk for the rest of our time tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, the San Francisco 49ers are an interesting team, and I say that with this, the sense that, you know, everybody in the division outside of the Cardinals know who they are. The Seattle Seahawks assume year in and year out with this roster, with Russell Wilson, they're a Super Bowl contender. The, Saint, or the L.A. Rams now think that they're one of the premier offensive football teams in the league with Sammy Watkins producing and the return of Todd Gurley and Jared Goff suddenly looking – semi-competent at quarterback. You know, we, we assume Wade Phillips is going to turn that defense around. And then the San Francisco 49ers know what they are. They're a team with a lot of spare parts on cheap veteran contracts. Then they have a lot of nice, young, drafted um, players over the last couple of years. John Lynch, I thought, did a tremendous job a year ago to getting, you know, quality value in the first, second, third round. Um, are they going to win a ton of games this year? No, but if they were playing – uh, hosting the Cardinals with the way the Cardinals are playing um, instead of traveling to the University of Phoenix Stadium, I think the Niners will be favored in this game. With that being said, I go back to my original point, is everybody knows what they are except for the Cardinals. And I think that with the way that this division is trending in the next couple years, the Cardinals need to develop an identity. And if they don't, they're going to be left in the cellar much like the Rams and the Niners have been in the last couple of years. You look at what the, the um, Niners are trying to do now offensively. They are probably one of the best rushing teams with Carlos Hyde leading the way. He's in a contract year. He ran incredibly well the last couple of weeks. He shredded the Seattle Seahawks defense. You know, Brian Hoyer, say what you will, uh, but he's a mobile guy. They're going to probably use him outside the pocket. Uh, defensively, again, you would think this is another defense the Cardinals would be able to exploit but, again, five days in preparation compared to what? The Niners get you know, seven days to prepare. Um, it's it's going to be a close game. Uh, it's going to be one I think the Cardinals end up winning purely based on the fact that it's at home. I would agree with you there. It's an area where I think there was even a comparison. Uh, I know with uh, one of the writers at Revenge of the Birds, Seth Cox, was talking about how uh, the stats that they have between the Cardinals and the Niners, you take a look at them as far as for not just passing yards or – even looking at overall defense, but these two teams are actually very, very similar in terms of they've had similar struggles with turnovers from the quarterback. They've had some issues, at least as far as for um, 
on defense of being able to stop teams in the second half. But what's really interesting is just you can see the loss of David Johnson and how he had such an impact on the team as far as for not just being able to make plays in the running game, like giving them a run game, even when they didn't have an offensive line like they did last year, but also just in the passing game of finding that guy who's been such a mismatch. And that's the one thing, just looking at the division with how you're seeing how Todd Gurley's been used by the Rams this year and the passing game, especially something he was rarely, if ever used with for Jeff Fisher and see how Carlos Hyde is one of those three down type backs too. Um, what's been especially interesting is how Hoyer and Shanahan has been able to take a lot of deep shots to a guy like Pierre Garçon and being able to have success. Uh, it's just kind of an area when you look at how the Cardinals have a tendency to give up big plays with late in the Lions game to Kenny Dolliday, those touchdowns. And again, also with the deep touchdown on the, on Tyron Matthew from uh, Bryce Butler also having 90 yards despite having hardly any snaps in the game. It's just an area kind of where if this Cardinals defense is who they are going to be, you're going to expect them probably to come out strong in the first half, and then when it comes time to the second half, they have to be the ones who will be able to draw up something that's not really a predictable blitz, be able to get pressure on that quarterback, uh, being able to kind of limit. Fortunately for them, and this is why I think I have the Cardinals, I have the Cardinals at least winning, I think I have right now about 24, uh, 21. I think it will end up coming down to a late-game field goal just like it did last year against the, Car- the Niners at home. Blaine Gabbard actually went off and had a very uh, very successful outing against the Cardinals overall. I think that it's going to be a closer game with that because this is just not a Cardinals team that's really equipped to go out and win in all three phases of the game. So, uh, anyway, I think that's some great stuff that we've been able to touch on so far in the card game. Let's move on and talk a little bit of draft. And I know you can look at it and say, look, it's week three. Why are we talking drafts already? Well, part of it is because a lot of people are having to talk draft because they just want the card to the tank for a better quarterback. Well, or yeah, have you seen the team play? That's year. why we're talking draft. Yeah, it's, Have it's you seen the team play? That's why we're talking draft. Yeah, I think part of it for people is if this is, say, a younger team, where if you're looking at talking about maybe it's like a 27-year-old quarterback or if it's having like a – you could call it a down year. But when you're talking about Plum being 38 years old and having heavily molded retirement, this is kind of part of the reason why we're talking about these different quarterbacks. And what's interesting also is looking at Bruce Arians and the fact that we're not sure if he's going to be around next year. It's been really interesting to see because this is a guy who, you know, his book was released. It's called The Quarterback Whisperer. He's had success with these quarterbacks who've had high draft picks. That they even brought in a guy like Blaine Gabbert, who's a former top 10 pick, just because that's kind of the pedigree of quarterback that he's been looking with. So from your mind, at least, let's get into some of this draft talk and start looking at some of the quarterbacks who maybe, let's say, if Arian is going to be the head coach going on next year and the Cardinals do have a chance to select a quarterback, who are some of the guys that you think that they would favor? That's an excellent question, and – Right now, I'm assuming that the Cardinals are going to be picking probably in the latter half of the top 10 or in the early teens like this past season. Um, But again, I'm also assuming that the likes of the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the San Francisco 49ers, the Cleveland Browns, four teams off the top of my head who I know that the Cardinals will probably have a better record than will all be targeting franchise quarterbacks in this draft. So, and all have... uh, draft capital that exceeds currently what the Cardinals have. So it's difficult to project exactly who's going to be there, you know, seven months out, but you can talk about Sam Darnold going first overall. That's assuming that, you know, he decides not to go back to school. I've heard and read articles saying that 
you know, if a team like Cleveland were to get the first overall pick, he would reassess coming out based on the fact that, you know, just the projection of his career going well there, the likelihood is so low that he would just have to change the culture there. Or he could pull an Eli Manning and just say, I'm going to declare I'm not going to go there. Don't draft me. Uh, I would assume and expect Josh Rosen to go somewhere between pick two to five. Uh, I think he is being greatly undervalued based on um, some of the things he said publicly. He's pretty outspoken, but also, you know, had a, had a down year uh, last year, but has played really pretty good football this year. A lot of people compare him to, you know, a Jay Cutler based on how many interceptions he throws. Interceptions in college do not bother me. Matt Ryan threw 20-plus interceptions his junior, senior year at Boston College. I want to see a guy take chances. That UCLA team is not overly, you know, talented. He's not working with the same kind of players that a Sam Darnold is working with. So as long as his completion percentage is up, uh, the touchdowns are there, the passing yards are there, um, you, he can make all the throws. Those are the kind of things that, that I want to see. And the kid from Wyoming – right now to me is the biggest faller. He looks like uh, the second coming of, of Christian Hackenberg. They have not played anybody this year uh, of note, and he just looks like a shell of himself from last year. What What is his name, Blake? Is it Josh Allen? Yeah, Josh Allen. And that's been one of the big areas where when you start talking about the draft and start realizing just how media, social media, and how our communication has improved so drastically. This is a guy who – if you're talking about 20 years ago as far as for a draft pick, people probably wouldn't even know his name until he gets taken, you know, in the first round on draft night potentially. Now it's in the area where you're having all these articles written up, you're having anonymous scouts chiming in about how he's maybe the, the best arm since Cam Newton or guys who are looking at him as like a surefire franchise quarterback. And I do honestly think when you're looking at some of the different guys who are coming out, I think that that's something that has to screw with your head as far as just the sheer expectations that you have. I think of a guy, at least for just part of human nature, like you can take a look at um, just the Florida State kicker who was taken coming out. I was drafted in the second round of the Bills, or the, excuse me, to the Bucks and Robert Aguayo, and the team traded up to take a kicker in the second round. And he wasn't a guy who really is, like, even worth that draft selection. He's a guy who maybe was – Somebody didn't even consider him the best kicker overall that year. But just that sheer weight of expectation was something that was so huge. And that's something that all these guys with Darnold, Rosen, um, are all going to have to basically face as far as for just having them kind of being anointed as these type of talents coming out. I wanted to switch the corner a little bit to talk about the most electric quarterback in college football and see a little bit on your thoughts as far as for with a lot of the draft Twitter talk about is he a quarterback? Is he a wide receiver? Is it talking a franchise quarterback? Is this uh, more of a Michael Vick situation? Are you talking to RG3? What are your thoughts on one Lamar Jackson? Well, I can tell you coming into this season, I think that a lot of the criticism was justified based on the fact that he ended last year. Uh, I believe over the last three or four games, he completed under 50% of his throws, which is that's not college-level competent quarterback play. Uh, and the team lost the majority of those of those games. Now, he still locked up the Heisman, had a phenomenal season, but the criticism was warranted. At the same time, he's been better this year to start out than he was last year. I think he looks more comfortable as a pocket passer. I don't think his first instinct is to run. I think that was much of what plagued him late last season is that defenses started to catch up to a lot of what he did. As far as a, as a pro pro projection goes, I think he's somebody that 
I disagree with the with the people that that say that he would need to sit. He's the kind of player that you would play right away and get positive results from because of his mobility. And you would hope that his mobility would aid him in having that success early on, uh, like a you know Russell Wilson, a little bit like we're seeing now with with Houston, um, Deshaun Watson, a um, little bit with Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, where these guys come in and they're not polished pocket passers yet. They're not great at going through, through their projections and their reads to their second, third, fourth options, but their mobility saves them and allows the offense to continue moving. And I think that Lamar Jackson is, is obviously a superior uh, ball carrier than any of the quarterbacks I just named. And I think he's uh, right there in the same ballpark in terms of our arm strength is not better. The biggest question mark is, can he complete over 60% of his throws, <laughs> excuse me, in uh, an NFL uniform? That just remains to be seen, I think, to project it accurately. And we're seeing a little bit from Deshaun Kaiser this year is he was under 60% in college, and he's under 60% in the NFL. So usually that spells trouble in the same sense that, you know, Christian Hackenberg completed, I think, 53% his last year at Penn State. He can't hit, you know, the book broadside of a barn door in the Jets, you know, open practices. And so that's something that you just can't, you just can't teach accuracy. That's something that they need to bring to the table. If he shows that and, and gets up there in, you know, the, the mid to high sixties this year, then I'm going to feel much better about his chances at the next level. As far as him being paired with Bruce Arians, I, I would hope that Steve Kime would make the conscious decision. If he's there when the Cardinals pick and think, beyond Bruce Arians, even if Bruce is there throughout Lamar Jackson's, you know, first five to seven years. If Bruce decides that I'm going to continue coaching, I have renewed joy in it, and I'm enjoying doing it with Lamar and blah, 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 or he's got one or two years left, or he's got, you know, six months left, depending on his heart condition and that kind of thing, God forbid. So um, I think he would do well with somebody like a Todd Haley. I think that that's somebody who would make a lot of sense as the next head coach for the Arizona Cardinals, somebody who's got a prior relationship with Steve Kine, with Michael Bidwell, who I think is a terrific offensive mind, who's a creative play caller. Uh, I think Blake will we'll both agree, though, that the next head coach of this team, if it's not Bruce Arians, is going to be an offensive guy. I think I totally agree with you there that it's going to be someone who's offensively going to because we've seen the defense has been able to go from a Ray Horton to a Todd Bowles to a James Betcher without having as much fall off. The biggest reason I think in a lot of ways for the fall off this year for the defense is because you're missing one Calais Campbell in the middle and you've not seen Robert Kendici been able to step up and be able to fill that gap to either create pressure or just a guy to be able to make those plays. Going back a little bit with Lamar, just so far this season, that's been kind of one of the big things with completion percentage. So far, he's at least answering a lot of those questions as far as for his completion percentage is up to 61.3. He seems to have definitely shown that progression that you look for each year with a quarterback. You look at Patrick Mahomes' completion percentage about how he built it up each year where he was able to get it from, I believe it was around 55% to being able to pull it up to a little bit over 63% by the time he graduated for his career total. And that's some of that progress that you'd like to be able to see. I, I think for me personally, this is something going back to the way that Bruce Arian scouts quarterbacks is he recommended that they took Andrew Luck over RG3 for a couple of different reasons, but one of the biggest ones was size. With Lamar Jackson being uh, probably maybe 6'2 on a good day, 
a little small kid who's working on 205, you're going to get a lot of Teddy Bridgewater comparisons as far as for that size. And the fact that he's a runner and moves around a lot is really going to be part of why the NFL will knock him is if he's going to be able to take those hits at the next level. I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have to end up seeing an adjustment by your offense to Lamar, just like what Seattle did with Russell Wilson, whether it's finding platforms or finding areas for him to be able to create and space to be able to take off and run. And part of the reason why Russell's been struggling lately is because the Seahawks have not been able to address really their offensive line by giving him a solid running game to go along with it. And as a result, he's having the past five, six, ten games with a terrible line. He's basically having to do it all himself with either running around and taking the fit. So I think the fact that the Cardinals, if you're talking about bringing in a mobile quarterback who can extend plays and pairing them with a back in David Johnson that you already have, I think that's already going to be something that will help a young quarterback. Let's move on at least to talking a little bit more about one of the kind of hot-button quarterbacks in Mason Rudolph. From what I've seen, at least, there seems to be very, very polarizing opinions on him. I've seen him ranked anywhere from a day-three guy who doesn't have the amount of arm strength and is mostly reliant on his teammates to some people talking about just the, the athleticism he'll have, the size, the intangibles, uh, his completion percentage, and the fact that he wins games. So what are your thoughts, at least, on Mason Rudolph, which side of the kind of line that's polarizing do you seem to fall on? Well, you got to be a little bit skeptical of that Oklahoma State offense in the sense that is he another Brandon Whedon that's going to come into the NFL and be stuck in the pocket with minimal mobility, which we talked about earlier, is key, and it's going to throw a ton of interceptions. Remember Brandon Whedon? outdueled Andrew Luck in um, a bowl game and looked tremendous for um, the Cowboys and had a, a really nice college career. And, yes, he was damn near 30 years old when he was drafted, but was a, a projected, you know, top 50 NFL prospect and obviously was overdrafted by the Browns. But, you know, perhaps if he had gone somewhere else, we've seen him have some success with some other teams, but – you know, I, I'm skeptical, Blake, of that offense. I think, and not to jump around here, I think a, 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 somebody who's probably undervalued at this point compared to Mason is somebody like Luke Falk from Washington State who's going to be competing this weekend against Sam Darnold in USC. Uh, I think he projects better for what the Cardinals like to do. I think he's got a superior arm. I think you know the fact that he's a senior doesn't hurt got the size. I believe he's 6'4", 230. Uh, very nice numbers this year. Uh, it's, a, it's a Washington State. I always love when players, quarterbacks specifically, elevate programs that aren't traditional powers. You know, I would consider Oklahoma State a, 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 a traditional power in the sense that they're usually somewhere in the top 25 teams. I think that's a fair assessment. Washington State is historically a terrible program. And you, you saw we plucked Aon Buchanan from that program because he stuck out amongst, you know, a garden of, of weeds, so to speak. And so I, I like the, the fact that, that um, Luke Falk is, is doing the same. Now, I know you could say, well, Mike Leach is his head coach, and he did the same thing with his quarterbacks at Texas Tech, and that would be a valid point. But basically what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I want to see guys get elevated by their quarterback beyond their capabilities, and I think he does that better than Mason Rudolph, but I think both of them are probably in that same realm of, you know, maybe pick number 50 to 75. I, I don't think they're either in that first tier 
with the Rosens or the Allens or the Darnolds, and then the second tier is a, a Lamar Jackson, and I think they're in, you know, tier three or tier four. Uh, and I would almost want to include Baker Mayfield in the conversation from the mindset of, you know, we've seen under guys, undersized guys be undervalued in the draft process, come, come in with a chip on their shoulder and, and, and win at the NFL level like they win at the college level. And I know that people compare him to Colt McCoy. I see more Russell Wilson than Colt McCoy, but that, that's just me. What are your thoughts on some of these, these second-tier quarterbacks? Yeah, for me, I think with Falk is a guy who really caught my attention when uh, I was looking up and asking a couple of questions about for some of these different pro-style offenses for guys who would fit through steering system. And Falk was a guy who stuck out because seeing the way that he worked and operated, on one hand, you kind of look at maybe some of the builds, some of the offense, it was kind of the first Jared Goff type of a feel. But the more I watched, the more I realized that he's much more of a smarter decision maker especially when it comes down to under pressure. Sometimes he can be maybe too smart for his own good where he'll trust his arm into a lot of window throws. But when you look across the board with how, not just with his completion percentage being so super high, you can, you know, talk about the Mike Leach offense, but you also have to look at the fact that his placement is outstanding. And part of that is that I think that it's an area where in this NFL where you've got these hurry-up offenses, being able to read a defense, be able to make the throw, being able to extend the play with your legs. I think that he's a guy who's got a shot as a, maybe a second-round player. The big question is just going to be kind of seeing if that arm strength, um, if it's going to be something that you'll have to adjust to, or are you going to have a lot less deep passes, are you going to try to work on separation? It'll be um, something to watch. Especially also with, when you're talking about with the deep ball with a guy like Mason Rudolph, just seeing him having a playmaker like James Washington really just highlights about how when – you can underthrow a football when you got a deep threat like that, and he'll come back and just and catch the ball. And that reminded me a whole lot of just that Brandon Whedon experience that you would have with um, just the incredible wide receiver that they had that time in Justin Blackman. Uh, let's move on and talk a little bit, though, to kind of close out our time talking about quarterbacks in the show, just with a guy like Baker Mayfield, because he's going to be a really polarizing prospect just for not just his fiery demeanor. You know, I know he ended up having a DUI at some point in college as we saw with Dak Prescott, the NFL really doesn't like a lot of that. But just to see some of the fire, the way he plays, and also a lot of the stuff that people are really starting to key in now on is they're realizing that his arm is actually incredibly strong. One thing that you look at with smaller quarterbacks is usually a, you think of a Kellen Moore, a guy who's going to not have that type of arm strength. But just in the past, this last weekend, Mayfield aired out a pass uh, probably some 75 air yards ended up overthrowing his guy who wasn't able to get separation. But when you're talking about a guy who's able to run around the pocket and make those deep throws, maybe I know some people have compared, they feel maybe more of a Jeff Garcia. Others have said maybe you could talk about the second coming of Fran Tarkenton. I think that's kind of more of what I would lean toward. I just think that it's kind of an area where you can't really overlook a quarterback because of his height, um, the way that he plays and navigates in the pocket. On one hand, you could kind of say that maybe it's, maybe a little bit too risky with trying to trust the legs. Maybe he'll take a few more hits. On the other hand, you got to look at just some of those leadership intangibles and the, the ability that he has to be able to hit guys accurately on stride. The biggest key that I think and part of why I'm a bigger Mayfield fan than most is just looking at the game that he played where he started off perfect in his completion percentage, almost had a perfect game. I believe it was 18 to 20 passing. And he really just demonstrated the fact that once he kind of gets into that type of a rhythm, even when you try to throw him off that rhythm, he's able to use his legs, keep looking downfield, 
and is able to make smart plays with the football. So I think that's kind of an area when you start talking about if the Cardinals are going to go into next year's draft and they're not going to get a shot at one of these top-tier quarterbacks, maybe you end up talking about, all right, well, if you really are just going to be ravaged on the offensive line, maybe what you take a look at is you grab an offensive lineman and then you start taking a look at a guy like Mayfield who right now maybe he's a guy who we are talking about as being one of those second-round picks, which is how we talked about Patrick Mahomes last year. Mahomes is kind of a guy who really rose up through the process by demonstrating those intangibles, the arm strength, that athleticism, enough where he ended up being uh, costing it two first-round picks and a third as the Chiefs move all the way up, jumping a lot of teams, including the Cardinals, who we're pretty sure from what we know that they at least had some interest in him and the quarterbacks there. But just seeing that, I think it will be interesting to see. Steve Kemp said he learned a lot from Russell Wilson. If the Cardinals do end up in kind of that second tier, uh, maybe taking a shot on a guy like Mayfield despite the size, maybe you take a look at him in the second round or if you feel like it's going to be a, even a late first selection because some of the other teams start keying in. That's going to be some of the areas where it's still you know really far out. But that's one of those guys where I would definitely be willing to take a, take a, um, a flyer on. All right, well, we're approaching the end of our show. We've got about 90 seconds or so left. you got any last comments you want to make about uh, the guys in the quarterback class before I move on? You know, I just echo your sentiments on Mayfield, and I think he's being dismissed nationally, and I hate to use this phrase, but I do think he's a winner. I think he's somebody that absolutely you could bring in and re-energize this franchise from a competitive standpoint where you feel like every week he gives you an opportunity to win based on his combination of mobility, arm strength, and leadership. Uh, And as you said earlier, he's phenomenally accurate in the pocket, uh, so I, uh, other than the, the stereotypical measurements from you know, height and weight standpoint, he is what the NFL is now. The Dak Prescotts, the Jacoby Brissetts, to some extent, smaller guys are getting more of an opportunity and showing that they can be successful. And we're thankfully getting away from that traditional model of 6'5", 225, statue in the pocket, doesn't have the accuracy, but he looks the part. And these younger guys are, are taking the league by storm, and I love it. And I, I just hope the Cardinals wise up and they catch up. And that's going to be up to Steve Kime, and hopefully he's learned his lesson. Yeah, indeed. This is the Per Game Blitz. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us next week, and you have a great rest of your night. Bye-bye, everyone. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. 
Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.